We're having glitches today. We fixed the pot lights up above your stage, guys, worship team. We had it working on Thursday, and now this morning they're both out. So we, Thursday we had it, we tipped it down, had it going, everything's bright. Come on this morning, not there. And uh, so <clears throat> have no idea what's going on with that, but hopefully we will get those things fixed, amen? But you know what? Just another distraction. Someone say distraction. Great illustration, Pastor. Way to work at it. Way to get that down. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, we were talking uh, this year about taking our Christianity to the next level before Christmas, and we talked about taking love to the next level and honor and creativity and our attitude, and then Pastor Mark talked about taking your life speech to the next level, and we just had uh, you know, a good flow going, and then you get interrupted by Christmas. Do you know what I'm saying? And a good thing to get interrupted by. It's a, it's, a, it's a Jesus thing to get interrupted by, and we're okay with that. But I wanted to get back into uh, that this morning. But what I want to talk about as we go forward in 2018 is I don't want to necessarily look at uh, taking life to the next level individually. I want to talk about what it's like to do that corporately. And uh, we need to understand that Jesus has created uh, the church for us to live out life together. Everybody say together. Yes. Say it again, together. Yes. And uh, how many know living life together is sometimes difficult? Let me see your hands. Anybody's married knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> Said, you know, because you, you, know, you no longer live for yourself. You're living for a spouse. Then you have children. Oh my word, then you have children. And then now you're no longer living for yourself. You're living for your spouse and for your children. Right? Anybody hear me this morning? And, uh, and the more children you add, the more children you add, Derek and Paula, the more children you add, you know, the more difficult that can, can be. I remember when we had uh, one child, it was okay. There was two parents to one child. That was a pretty good ratio, two to one. And it seemed to work pretty good. And then we had the second child, and you know, one to one ratio wasn't too bad either. But then once you have the third child, you're outnumbered, and all bets are off. I mean, life dramatically changes when number three comes, all right? And, uh, I mean, it's too late to warn you guys, but uh, I'm just saying it dramatically changes when you get to number three because now you're outnumbered, right? And so what happens is, you know, one, per one parent's got the one child, the other parent's got the other child, and the third one's starving to death. You know, that's, that's the, way, the way it seems to be sometimes. And you're like, uh, this is difficult. And, and the thing was that the beauty of it was once we had three kids, if they wanted to have a friend over, no big deal, because what's the difference if you have three or if you have seven at the house, you're still outnumbered, right? So uh, it was like, okay, no big deal. Yeah, you want to bring your friend over? It was actually better because the kid that had the friend over, you didn't have to worry about. They kind of just got in trouble and, you know, either starved to death or ate too much together. That's what they did. And, uh, and then you just had to focus on the other two, right? And so it, it, it seemed to be not too bad if they had somebody over, but, but once that outnumbered thing comes, life changes, and, and life is like that. Uh, you know, there are complications to it. It, it, it has this way of, of stretching us and pulling us and tugging us, but that's all good. We're supposed to be stretched and pulled and tugged. But you, you have to do that in community with people in order for that to happen, for that to be a result. And in the body of Christ... We need it just as much as we need it in the maternal family. We need to be stretched. We need to, we need to have kids. We need to have a parenting experience. We need to, in other words, we need to, 
find people that, that are new in faith, and we need to disciple them, and we need to pour into them, just like we pour into our, our physical children. We need to experience what it is to have then spiritual children and spiritual grandchildren and, and experiencing the joys of all of it and, and, the, and the difficulty and the struggles and even the sorrow sometimes. All of that is the life that Christ intended for us. And so today, beginning today, I want to look at taking our church to the next level. I want to talk about taking the church to the next level. Did you know the, the word church is used 107 times in the New Testament? 107 times. Depending on what translation you read, it may be one or two more or less. Uh, they may use a different word in some places, but as a rule, it's 107 times it's used in the New Testament. And the per first person to use the word was who? Jesus. Jesus, in Matthew 16, 18, when Jesus said to Peter, right, that uh, I will, on this rock I'm going to build my, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And uh, it's kind of interesting that Jesus was the first one to use it, since the church really didn't begin until the day of Pentecost, after his death, resurrection, and the Holy Spirit being poured out, right? But he was the one who spoke prophetically to Peter and said that, uh, you know, uh, on the rock, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build it on me. I'm going to build it on, on, on this person, on Jesus Christ, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And, uh, and, and that understanding of church is something that Jesus spoke into. Now, the trend in modern Christianity, especially in Canada, everybody say especially in Canada, and I'll talk more about this next week, but the trend in modern Christianity is to separate our personal spiritual journey with Christ from the local church. Far more a Canadian thing than an American thing, but it's still a North American phenomenon. It's a phenomenon of separating our spiritual life, our spiritual journey, from the context of church life. We, we tend to see them as isolated things. And uh, those who are proponents of this, what I call the disenfranchisement movement, just because I like that word, um, uh, will acknowledge, they'll acknowledge that every believer is part of the church, but then they'll argue that when the scripture speaks about the church, it's speaking about a universal body of believers, which is comprised of every believer worldwide. It's not speaking about a local congregation or a local group of believers. And it's true that there are verses in the Bible which speak about the church in that kind of context. When the church is speaking, when God Christ is speaking, or the Bible is speaking about the church, it does speak about a universal church. Uh, for example, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul speaks about the universal church when he compares it to a bride, right? Uh, he says in verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church, right? And gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Obviously, in that verse, Paul is not talking about an individual congregation, right? He's talking about the universal bride of Christ. It might shock those people from uh, the Westboro Baptist Church, but that verse is not referring to them. If you don't know who the Westboro Baptist Church is, you just got to look it up on, on the internet. It's... Uh, both sad and entertaining at the same time. And, uh, but uh, 
They believe they're the only ones going to heaven and everybody else is going to hell. And they actually have a counter on their website so you can count how many people have gone, gone to hell while you've been reading the, uh, their website. So it's very effective and helpful for you, just in case you're ever wondering just how much the number is growing. And so the counter runs uh, on there for you, and uh, I won't say anything more about that. But the point that I'm getting at is it's not speaking about a local congregation. Obviously, this is speaking about all believers together. We're the body of Christ, Right? Or his bride. We are their language in Scripture that describes us as a universal church, no question about it. Another one is Colossians 1.18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in, in all things he may have preeminence. So again, here's a reference to the church universal. However, listen to this this morning. Out of the 107 times in the New Testament that we hear the word church, most of the time it is not speaking about the universal church. It's not speaking about the universal church, but rather about the church in regions, in cities, uh, even individual congregations meeting in synagogues, buildings, and in people's homes. The vast majority of references to the church in the New Testament are speaking about specific groups of people. Specific groups of people. Let's listen to some of these verses, and you'll see what I mean. Acts chapter 2, verse 46. So continuing daily with one another, with one accord, I should say, in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. This is speaking specifically about groups of people gathering together in buildings and meeting in people's homes, and specifically God growing their number. You say, well, yeah, but that could still be a reference to the universal church. Okay, well, then let's look at some more. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Then the churches, plural, throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. The churches, plural, were multiplied. It doesn't say the church was multiplied. It says the churches, and then it talks about churches in different regions were multiplied. Plural language uh, multiple churches in multiple areas. Acts chapter 15, verse 40, Paul, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God, and went through Syria and Cilicia, Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Again, in different regions, churches existing, where he went and he ministered to those congregations, to those people. Then we see in Romans chapter 16, verse 3, listen to these words of Paul. He says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life. I like that. They risked their own necks for my life. To whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. Is that speaking about the universal church? No. He's saying, you know, the church that meets in their house the group of believers that meets in Priscilla and Aquila's house, would you, would you greet them? Would you bless them? Would you speak to those people uh, and, and give them my love? Because they've given and sacrificed so much for me. Paul says, would you, would you bless them and speak to them and encourage them? You see, there are so many other references that we could go through. 1 Corinthians eleven eighteen. First of all, for first of all, when you come together, Paul's giving instruction to the church in Corinth. I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. Here he's specific, speaking specifically to an individual congregation and group of believers in a specific city in Corinth, and he's talking to them about the issues of divisions they have in the body of Christ. 
And then on and on and on, we have example of it in the New Testament. Paul writing letters to specific churches and specific communities, hence why the names of the, many of the epistles are addressed to groups of believers in specific communities. The church, the church that the Bible speaks about, was a gathering of people in a local context to impact local community. Now, I think that, you know, if Christ were to come and look at all the different denominations and all the rest that we created, he'd be like, really, guys? Seriously? But it wouldn't be because he is exasperated by the fact that there are local congregations and groups and gatherings of believers that are families unto themselves. That wouldn't be what exasperates them. It would be the fact that that many times they don't work together or can't have community, and they look at the things which make them unique and see them as divisions rather than as something that can make us wonderfully expressive in the body of Christ. Are right, you hearing me? Do you remember back in the spring last year I was talking about why church? Remember that? And, um, and I talked about three kinds of people that there are on any given Sunday in any church. Anybody remember what three kinds of people were? First ones were? Observers, remember? They're people that are there. They're just, they're, they're visiting. They may have been dragged by their parents or by their spouse or by their kids or by a friend. They might have come kicking and screaming. They might, have, they might have come out of curiosity saying, I'd like to see what this is all about. I'd like to know what goes on at church. Never been there before. I want to check this out. So you've got observers. You've got people that are there. They're just checking it out. Second group of people that you got, though, and that's the vast majority of people, they're consumers, Remember? They're here, they're just taking it in, they're growing, they're, they're uh, consuming what is being offered. They're saying, hey, I, I love the worship, I, I, I'm learning, I'm growing, and nothing wrong with being a consumer, okay? Uh, we live in a consumer-based economy. If we don't consume, the economy goes, right? So we, we eat, and we, we uh, buy stuff, and put somebody else to work, and all the rest, and we all know how it works, right? And so we live in that, and we reap the benefits of that consumer-based mentality, However, everybody say however. However, it shouldn't end there. And we talk about a third group of people. What were they? Investors. That the church of Jesus Christ has a third group of people. Those are investors. They are people who are setting aside their own personal needs so that they can invest in others. And the problem in our culture, when we hear investments, and I, there's these uh, commercials out right, uh, right now, what is it, AmeriQuest? Is that the name of the company? I saw another one of the commercials or two last night where a person sits across the table from their financial manager and they complain about the fees and uh, they say, you know, we're going to pull our money out. And he goes, I don't think that's a good idea. Uh, and they say, it's not a good idea for who? For you or for me, right? You, you've seen those commercials, you know what I'm talking about? And then how you need to take care of your money and all the rest of it. Because when we talk about investment, we always look at what's the return for me in our society when we hear the word investor. But there's a different kind of investment. There's an investment in people. And we don't invest in people for what's in it for us. Please hear this. If you're investing in people for what's in it for you, that makes you no more, not much better than a, than a slave master. At, at least it makes you manipulative. I'm investing in somebody for what I get out of it? Come on. If your marriage is built on that, Come and see me afterwards. You need help. <laughs> you know? We'd, if you're investing in your spouse and marriage for what you get out of it, big problems are in your future. Are you hearing me? 
Everybody say big problems. Big problems. Big problems. Uh, you know, you may have originally met the person and went, and, and fell for them or, 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 or were excited when you were around them because of what they made your heart do. But how many know that's not what's going to keep you going for 35 years? There has to be a commitment to invest in the person because you love them. Love is not a feeling. It is a verb. It's a choice. Does that, everybody say verb. Remember in school what a verb is, folks? It's an action word, right? Everybody remember that? A verb is an action word. It's, it's one of those doing things, right? It's a, it's a do word. And so uh, when we talk about being in love, we're not talking about a feeling. We're talking about being committed. We're talking about but, but serving one another. We're talking about giving. We're talking about taking care of the other person first. That's what it means to love. Am I making any sense to anybody? All right. Awful quiet in here this morning. Hallelujah. I'm never quite sure how to in, in, in interpret quiet, you know. Uh, I look around, I don't see anybody sleeping, so I don't think that's the problem. Uh, uh, if you are, uh, not, if you see someone, nudge them beside you or whatever, but, but I don't think that's the problem. The point that I'm getting at is this, that when it comes to investing in the body of Christ, it's about investing in people, and it's about investing for their benefit and for the benefit of the collective body of Christ. We don't invest for what we get out of it. We invest for your benefit. And sometimes that's hard as a pastor, I'll be honest. It is sometimes a frustrating life. We, we do it all the time. That's what, we got into this because we caught a vision of that investment thing and we, about investing in people, and we, it captured our heart, and we wanted to do that with our whole lives. It's true. But, but there's sometimes when you invest more in somebody else's marriage than they invest in it themselves, gosh, that's frustrating. And you want to just take your hands and kind of close them around their neck and shake them and say, would you wake up? <laughs> the, the, the number one problem in marriages. Hear this. Just hear, my, hear me this morning. If you heard nothing else, hear this. And then I'll probably shut up and we'll go to communion. Uh, the number one problem in marriages. Are you ready? Simple word. Selfishness. Everybody say selfishness. selfishness. That's right. It's me, not we. That is the problem. Every, virtually every problem in a marriage can be traced to selfishness. Can't think of any actually that aren't. Well, my, my, my spouse had an affair. Why did they have an affair? Because they're selfish. Because they're putting their needs ahead of yours. Yeah, but you don't understand, my wife, she's um, impossible to live with. When was the last time you took a look in the mirror? Maybe you're not so easy to live with either. Maybe she's become impossible to live with because you're impossible to live with. Maybe she's impossible to live with because she's got pain or hurt in her life that you've never even tried to help her figure out what it is. That you've never loved her to the point of healing from what all that is. I know what it is. My wife's not here, so I won't go into great detail, but I know what it is to love somebody through depression. I know what it is to love somebody when for two years they can't even function in the home. And she shared the testimony before, so I'm not telling anything she hasn't told before. But 
what it is to love somebody when they're not capable of giving anything back. I know what that is. I know what that is. And guess what? We're still here. Hallelujah. More in love today than ever before. And that doesn't mean there aren't days when she drives me absolutely crazy. <laughs> you bet she would. <laughs> I guarantee she'd say the same thing. She's, some days she probably says, that man, you know. But the point is that we love each other. It doesn't mean we have the warm fuzzies for each other. It means that we have done that verb thing, that action word thing with each other. Every single day we do things to reinforce our affection for that person, that our heart is for them. And that's what we have to do, is we have to break the spirit of me in the body of Christ. Jesus never intended Christianity to be lived out in isolation. Yet most people discover a church, they find a church based on how that church makes them feel, based on they've got a great program for kids, based on the atmosphere and worship, based on how incredibly funny and witty the pastor is, you know, based on all these different things. And, uh, you know, and they, and they pick the church based on all this criteria. But what's all that criteria ultimately surrounded? Me. What I like. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting you should find a church that absolutely tortures you and go there. Uh, you know, I hate the place, but I'm committed. You know what I'm saying? That's not my point. My point is, is that that might be great for how you connected or how you discovered it or whatever, but, but you can't live on that for very long. We have to stay in a house. We have to stay part of a family because we have found a place where we're giving ourselves away, where we're investing. The initial attraction may be based on many different things that, that met some need in us, but ultimately, if you always keep church about how it meets my need... Your world stays very small. Very small, about, about three feet in diameter. That's about how big it stays. What God wants us to do is to have a, a, a life that's much bigger than that. I was talking at prayer this week, and by the way, we have prayer tomorrow morning, 8 o'clock, and we have prayer Tuesday night, and are you leading Tuesday night? Tuesday night, we have prayer here as well, and uh, for, the, for the next uh, three weeks, we have prayer every Tuesday night here from 7 to 8.30. And I think we were done right on time last Tuesday. So if you're worried that it's leaking out or whatever, we were done right on time. And, uh, but I think the morning one on Friday I heard leaked out a little bit, Rod. Is that true? Uh, so, but that's okay. Uh, you know, we still invite you here at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning. Come and join us for prayer. But um, I say that to say that the church of God is about investment. It, it literally functions on investing in one another. And... Uh, we need to, to be a, a people who understand that the reason Jesus created the idea of church instead of this individual disenfranchisement movement, the reason he created church is because we cannot fully experience Jesus on our own. If you hear nothing else this morning, hear what I just said. You cannot fully experience Jesus on your own. You cannot. You can only fully experience Jesus in the context of relationship. Impossible. Say impossible. It's impossible to do it on your own. You need to be involved in a body of believers 
And as the Bible says, and as iron sharpens iron, so will one person's countenance, another person's life, another person's uh, edges sharpen you, and you will sharpen them. Christianity cannot be expressed and experienced in any other form. It can only be experienced together. And I want to challenge you to up your game in that. So, and we're going to talk about it a lot of different ways over the next few weeks in which we've got to up our game in that. But I want to tell you that this is the only way. The only way. The only way. And when you run into conflict, if, if, if you encounter conflict and you run, you are cutting off Jesus' opportunity to grow you, to change you. Trust me, as a pastor, we have, we have more conflict because we're the arrowhead. More people are focused on hating us than anybody else in the body of Christ. Because if they don't like something in the church, it's obviously our fault. Right? So we get a lot of focus, sometimes negative energy. Not in Desert Stream. Desert Stream is perfect. No negative energy here. But, uh, but, but trust me. And, 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 and that's why many times as pastors, they, pastoring has one of the highest uh, uh, rates of people leaving their job and their occupation going to something else. It has one of the, the highest rates of, of depression of, of works and jobs, which seems an oxymoron to me. How can you be depressed when you're working for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? And, uh, and, 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 and the reason for that is because it's so difficult when, when there's so much pointed at you and people are depending on you to make them happy. But I realized a long time, well, that's not my job. My job's not to make, me ha- make you happy. Your job's to make you happy. And you can't do that by living under yourself. You've got to live for others. There's no other way. No other way. And I can tell you that and point you toward it, but just like the old proverb says, I can lead a horse to water, but I cannot make it drink. You drink because you're thirsty. You drink because you're going, hey, he's right. I need more of that. I need more of that. All right, hear me this morning. So we're going to participate in communion this morning. We're going to gather around this table table of the Lord, and we're going to experience one of the aspects of that community. This is an opportunity that the Bible says if any of you is weak, if any of you is, is in need of anything, then you come to this table and you experience a healing, you experience restoration. This is a, a table that's meant for that. It's, this isn't about eating lunch together, this is about remembering Christ's death and his resurrection together, a death and resurrection which the Bible says is a covenant promise to us to minister to us in all areas of our life. It isn't just about our spiritual salvation, but it's about my, me, body, mind, and soul. Right? In every way. In every way, Jesus ministers to me. So I'm going to invite you to stand, and worship team is going to lead us in worship. We're going to come forward at this time. We're going to take the emblems together. Bring the elders and staff up here so they can help me out. And I will feast at the table of